This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Let me be explicit. Right now, in this podcast, there's some explicit language. It's Thursday, November 2nd, 2017. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The tax plan is out. The tax plan is out. I feel so alive. CNN tweeted, read the full text, and provided a link. And of course, I had to wade in. I mean, how can we criticize our elected officials for not reading the bill if we don't read the bill? So, went right in, skipped a page. Man, just chose 225, and here I found... One, operating a nursery or a sod farm, or two, the raising or harvesting of trees bearing fruit, nut, or other crops, or ornamental trees for purposes of subclause two, an evergreen tree, which is more than six years old at the time, severed from the roots, shall not be treated as an ornamental tree. Okay, I'm out. So let's call in an expert. Joining me now to play one question, one question only tax edition. It's Adam Davidson. Adam is a writer for The New Yorker on economic issues. He's the founder of NPR's Planet Money. He's a friend of mine. Hello, Adam. How are you? Hey, Mike. So it's tax day. Uh, It's the day we figured out what would be in the tax bill. We got the brackets. It's like March Madness. We wait for our brackets, see where our team's going to play. This time we got the brackets. We know what income levels the brackets will be affixed to. They they kept acting like that was a minor detail. That's like, that is the tax code. That's like most of the tax code. Okay. So here is my one question, one question only. Is this a tax cut or cut, 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 as Trump wanted to brand it? Or is this really, as they say, tax reform? Easy. This is a tax cut. It is not tax reform. Tax reform would normally be what they call revenue neutral. It doesn't raise taxes. It doesn't lower taxes. It raises the same amount of taxes, but it fundamentally changes how taxes are raised. So, for example, one idea that a lot of experts would like um, is for the U.S. to shift from getting most of its income tax income through an income tax to getting most of its tax income through something like what almost every, I think every industrialized nation has, something like a value-added tax, which is basically a super fancy sales tax where um, the tax is raised incrementally as value is accumulated during the production process. That's a little complicated, but um, as a general rule, economists see that as less distortionary. It does less damage. The tax code isn't deciding who wins, who loses. Big problem It hurts poor people because poor people tend to consume more of their income or all of their income, and so they're paying more tax, so you have to offset that. That's a conversation to have. Tax reform would be something really, really different. It's not next year you have a 1040 that has slightly different brackets. Tax reform would be fundamental change, and that's not what we have. And we're not going to get there because it's too hard politically? The status quo has too much sway? It's a disaster politically, even if you have, you know, like the famous 1986 Reagan and Tip O'Neill, you know, Democrat and and Republican working working together because our tax code does have real winners and those real winners like being winners and they don't want to be losers. And so, for example, with a VAT, if you don't have an income tax, you don't have a home mortgage interest deduction write-off. You don't have the healthcare write-off. You don't have... There's a bunch of things that even regular middle-class people leave aside 
oil and gas companies and others who have special tax treatment won't get anymore. And those people will be mad because they don't get it anymore. So real tax reform is about as hard as it gets. And doesn't seem like this was the year for it. Although there was like two minutes where Paul Ryan seemed to think it might happen back in before Trump was inaugurated. You were slightly hopeful. I mean, I'm not a big fan of Paul Ryan's specific proposal, but it seemed like for just a minute, like, oh, the Republicans have the House and the Senate and the um, White House, and maybe they could do like real reform that's revenue neutral. In other words, it doesn't lower tax. It doesn't pay off the rich people. But that was ridiculous. (laughs) Adam Davidson covers economics for The New Yorker, and he is a reformer with results, except he's reformed nothing and gotten no results. Thank you, Adam. You're welcome, Mike. On the show today, I spiel about what went wrong in protecting Americans from Russian exploitation of social media. The answer is other Americans, including a four-star American. But first, he is the voluble host of his own sports podcast. He is an acclaimed, or at least I think he's a pretty good actor. I don't want to really start anything with the guy because Michael Rappaport is now an author and his book has balls. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime-solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no-nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. I'm now joined by Michael Rappaport. He is a star of over 60 films. He is out with a new book called This Book Has Balls, Sports Rants from the MVP of Talking Trash. He's also the host of the I Am Rappaport podcast. What's up, Michael? Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So I have to tell you, this year I did this thing. It was called The Upfronts, where we sell podcasts to advertisers. Uh And the year before, you had done it. You had hosted it. So they hired me to host it. And I said, so how was it? And people, the one comment I got, maybe by two, maybe five or six people is... You you said fuck a lot less than Rappaport did. Uh, that, that was the number one comment I got. That's funny. I'm like, is it good? Is it bad? They were like, just less. Definitely less. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I didn't say fuck. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, mm-hmm. I said fuck. But apparently, yeah, yeah, you laid the fuck on. It. I, I I I gave him a, I gave him a few fucks because for podcasting, you know, for me, you know, it's such a sense of freedom. Yeah. Uh, for me and and my podcast and you know when I was at the podcast upfronts. I've been to so many um, network television upfronts, and they're terrible. <laughs> they're they're fucking sleeping pills. So when I was like, "Yo, I'm hosting the podcast upfronts," like this is like a liberated sort of medium, right? Right. So you know, and I just think that you know the word in general, like curse words, especially if they're not directed at anybody. If you're just like you know this fucking that or this thing is shit. Like, I, I feel like they have an overrated stigma on them. Absolutely. As does the middle finger. Like, we've they, randomly they, chosen a finger to get offended at. Yeah, yeah. And so I just think, like, sometimes, like, you know, he's cursing. I'm like, yeah, so, like, you never heard these words before? You never said these words before? <laughs> so, yeah, so that's good. But I'm glad you, uh, you know, you were able to uh, hold it together. I had, a, I had a good time doing it. I was able. I was very tempted to go off on a riff about how... Uh, 
Will Chamberlain was overrated or how, uh, who do you say, Bethany Frankel is the Michael Jordan of the Housewives. But then I realized you probably did that the year before. No, no, no. <laughs> I, don't, I, I was just up there, just up there riffing. No, but that's your, I mean, that, that's your territory. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's your stick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bill Russell, actually, not Will Chamberlain. Do you think Will Chamberlain was properly rated? I think that Bill, Bill uh, Will Chamberlain is a stick man. I think... You know, I have a chapter in the book, uh, uh, the, the the first the, the first list of the great stickmen of all time, and and his his numbers because he had said that number of twenty thousand women, yeah. And I said that's the, he's the most scrutinized, analyzed stickman of all time because of the numbers. But that's the number he said, and he yeah. stuck to it till he day the day he died. So we have to let the man rest now. I think that if he had said ten thousand, it would be so much less scrutinized. Not because it's half the number, but there is a specificity to twenty thousand. But and but they, Ric Flair just came out and said ten thousand women. Mm-hmm. The wrestler Ric Flair, and yeah. then people were doing the math like, "Yo, that's a lot of fucking." <laughs> like to be with ten thousand women, uh, 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 that's a lot of sex. Like there has to be. Like it, it almost like that has to be like a full time job, so so I, I don't know. It just seems like a lot, but you know who's to say uh, whether Wilt uh, was making up his claim and, and the great Ric Flair uh, if he was ex- over exaggerating or not. So reading the book, you get an impression which wasn't surprising that you were you were a troublesome kid, not troubled. Right. You seemed happy, right? <laughs> just like your point was to make everyone around you a little bit more miserable, right? Yeah, right. they basically they were there for your entertainment. I yes. mean, you even print the uh, report card, yes. which says as much. He uses school as a place to play with his friends. And That's not, right, and torture teachers. That's right. Okay. But an actor, a lot of actors have that and they find the thing they love. But I, from what I always hear is the most important part of acting is listening. So how'd you develop listening, reacting? How'd you develop that skill? In order to be disruptive the way I was in school, now obviously I was a kid, so I don't look at it like this back then. I was just, you know, I was, it was just a fire and fury. Um, but I guess there's a certain amount of timing. And, you know, as far as acting, listening, you know, that it, it you know, that's something that, that, that you, you, you have to, it's like playing music. It's like even doing a podcast. Like mm-hmm. if, you know, if, if we're doing a podcast and like we're talking over each other and I'm not listening to you, you're not listening to me. And you know, that it's, it, there's timing, you know what I mean? Yes. And, and, and I, for me, like specifically talking about like this, it's like, you know, sometimes you do interviews. I've been doing so many goddamn interviews for the book and I'm happy to do it. But like some of the interviews I'm flowing with them. And and some of them I'm not like you know I've done talk shows. Some of the talk shows like I'm flowing with them right, and I never met them. It's just your rhythms. It's like it's like a, like a, if you're in a, like a jam band. So so when you're acting, you know there's a skill to listening. Film acting is different because to be honest with you, most of film acting is 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 you alone. You know sometimes there's two shots, three shots, but inevitably there's gonna be a close up. So the listening part of it. You know, sometimes some actors will be like, just say the lines as written, or they don't care if you're even there off camera. You mean when you're when you're giving film them acting. something to film act acting off. because yeah. It, yeah. you're just sort of acting. A lot of times, film acting is is to nothing. Now, you know, it could be, it's just to yourself. You're just performing for the camera. Now, I don't do that, um, and I think I'm a, a pretty good listener. But I think it's really just about rhythm and 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 timing, um, and and. Uh, you know, and, and 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 as an actor, like it's a given, give and take, just like a podcast or a band, or like if you're playing catch with somebody, and like you know you're going out and somebody's throwing the ball to you, you know if they hit you in a certain space, like hit your hands at a certain time, same yeah. type of shit. It's just timing. Were you a collaborative basketball player? Yes. Yeah. I was definitely, I was definitely a very unselfish basketball player, 
And I, you know, I was never as good as I wanted to be, but I played all the time. And describe your game to me. Could shoot well, pass, physical, and was definitely unselfish. Definitely, definitely unselfish. Like I, like I played basketball the right way in whatever sort of level that I played at. Like I, I like I played like I, I, I played the right way. I was a defer. Like I wasn't probably. I, I probably would have been a little better if I had like more of a scorer's mentality, which I understand now. Well, it also if you were a shooter who can defend. So if you were a wing who could defend, that's really valuable these days. Right? I wouldn't say I could <laughs> defend, but but I would I would try to defend well that's at least in new york the new york playgrounds have a reputation for great point guards and great passing but maybe not the best defense Mm -mm. yeah definitely not but you won the all-star game celebrity mvp that's correct for your defense that's correct you shut terrell owens down that's a fact it's look you could it's documented it's very very you could look it up anywhere you need to and it's it's truth did you scout him out did you go in so he had won the mvp award like twice before yes you go into the game i hit my first shot of the game yeah my kids were there i got the ball on the wing shot a three and i was like and and i just felt good i was talking shit to terrell owens and then literally the next time he got the ball, and I think it might have been that same time, he went up and tried to dunk the ball. Mm-hmm. And I stripped him, and and I was like, I was just on for me. Like, I was just talking so much shit, and I was like, you ain't doing shit. You ain't scoring nothing. And I think he was like, what the fuck is going on? Because he was, like, still in the NFL, and he's, like, yeah. a, like a, a high-level athlete. And I'm he, clearly not. Phys- if you don't know, if people don't know, he's one of the greatest receivers of all time. He's physically dominant. He's probably 10 years younger than you. Yeah. 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 But I got in his head. Now, he, you know, like on a normal day, you know, he'd be able to take me. But that day, I was able to get in his head just a little bit and, and, and keep him on the wraps. How do they decide who's on what team? I think they just do it based on personalities. You know, you don't want to have too many actors on one team you want to you know split up even and try to make the best game out of it now Bieber is really good I wouldn't say he's really good he's really good for Justin Bieber he's real right <laughs> like 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 he's better than you think he's scrappy he's tough and when he's playing basketball he's just a dude playing basketball like he, he doesn't really think too much of himself when he's playing ball like he'll he's playing it does seem you could out physical him though I was out. I could out physical Justin Bieber, but it was hard to catch the little motherfucker. <laughs> like he's like a like a like a like a Canadian jackrabbit. Like it was hard to. He is quick, and he's elusive. <laughs> Wiley, yes, yes. So I want to ask you this: Jerry Seinfeld has the joke about at this point rooting for sports team is like rooting for laundry. It's the uniform. Why you're still a Knicks fan? It's my DNA. I. It's it's just my DNA. But you don't like the owner. I don't like the owner. You, other than Porzingis, there's probably no one on the team. You really could give a shit about him. There you go. I'm, but I, don't, I've, I this year I've 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 made a. I'm I'm not going. I'm not going to the Madison Square Garden. Number one, I'm not going back into Madison Square Garden until Charles Oakley is allowed back in Madison Square Garden. And there's so many other things in the NBA to pay attention to, to get excited about, to put my energy into. For for this year, like I'm not getting emotionally involved with the Knicks. It's it, it's too frustrating. I, I I'm embarrassed to be a Knicks fan. And this is the city game. You know where we are right now in Brooklyn. If you walk out of this building, in 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 any direction, north, south, east, west, you're gonna walk past the basketball court. Basketball is part of the fabric and the architecture of New York City. And the fact that our team is so shitty, and it's been so shitty, and it's not that we've just lost it's the way we've lost like the reason why the 90s Knicks are so beloved is because at least they lost and they went down on their shield at least we lost with some character at least those guys were our guys we are closer to the Barclays Center so what about being a Nets fan I came out to my first game this season the other day I was courtside with a Brooklyn Nets jersey on I had a D'Angelo Russell jersey on 
and the Knicks are playing the Nets tonight. I know this probably won't air tonight, and I can't wait for the – I hope Brooklyn kicks their ass. Do you live in New York or L.A.? Mostly in L.A. Back and forth. I got a place in Manhattan. Do you go to Lakers games or Clippers games? Clippers and, games. And do they hook you up there? They hook me up there, too. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a tougher ticket to get, though, the really good seats, because a lot of us in L.A., a lot of A-level stars. So they might be like, well, if Leonardo's coming, you know, Rapport, you know, you're in the 10th row tonight. But doesn't Leo know you're from celebrity basketball? Yeah, yeah, that's my man. That's my man. That's my man. But it, there's definitely like, it's more of like, there's a lot of people that want tickets in LA. Where's he on the stickman list? Leonardo is is the consummate stickman. <laughs> He's the number one stickman right now. We we just had to put a stickman down. John Stamos, underrated, underheralded, fantastic stickman for years. Yeah. Just got engaged. So we had to announce the, the the end of his reign as a sick man. This is the third one in the year. We had George Clooney. Yeah. We had Derek Jeter. And now Stamos, they say deaths come in threes. Yeah. So so the, those are the three that, that have gone down. So Stamos, uh, I'm actually, this I'm announcing it here because I'm a fan of this podcast. Stamos, stick man down. Death comes in three. So Jeter, Clooney, and Stamos, three of the best of their generation. Says so the three three quarters of the Mount Rushmore of Stickmen. By the way, the Mount Rushmore of Stickmen, it's not the heads on Mount Rushmore. It's not the heads they use as well. No, I'm no, saying. no. So when a Stickman retires, it's like a Viking funeral. You send the loaf out on the Send him out to pasture. Send him out to pasture. And, and we wished him we wished him well. You know what I mean? Like they had a great run. Michael Rappaport's an actor and director from, well, Dr. Doolittle 2 and 59 yes. other movies. And he also directed the 30 for 30, When the Garden Was Eaten. His podcast is I Am Rappaport. And his new book is This Book Has Balls, Sports Rants from the MVP of Trash Talking. Good to meet you, Michael. I appreciate you having me. And now the spiel. Yesterday, the House Intel Committee conducted a second day of questioning of Facebook, Twitter, and Google executives. By executives, I mean lawyers. There were 2,700 fake Twitter accounts out there, be they from bot or troll. There were Facebook groups run by Russians, but pretending not to be Russian. Who are they pretending to be? Army of Jesus, South United, and of course, woke blacks. Woke blacks, indeed. The groups sowed dissent, and in one case, featured an ad with Jesus boxing the devil, asking the Facebook reader, which side are you on? How that maps onto labeling China a currency manipulator, I don't exactly know, but apparently it did. It has become abundantly clear that the Russians were trying to affect our elections. Their propaganda coursed its way through our infamous collection of tubes. But there is an analogy to the Russian influence effort that I want to make that's not tube-based. It's this. The propaganda, the ads, the fake accounts, those are the pathogens. And the pathogens were flowing through the bloodstream. The bloodstream is the internet. So in biology, there's this concept of the blood-brain barrier. And you don't want to cross the blood-brain barrier. What keeps the rotten globules in the blood from infecting our nervous system? That's the blood-brain barrier. There needs to be a mechanism, and scientists actually study and they find certain kinds of bacteria that are the things that cross the blood-brain barrier. And they, they wonder and they hope and they research perhaps these bacteria can be combated or eradicated or isolated. Well, in our analogy, we have found the bacteria. 
The thing that crossed the blood-brain barrier that took the propaganda coursing through the system and caused an infection, the name of that bacteria was Flynn and Conway and Donald Trump Jr. Here was Representative Jim Himes, Democrat of Connecticut, questioning Sean Edgett of Twitter about the difference between a troll and a bot. So with a troll, it's a real human, but not necessarily a real human who we know who that individual is. Typically, that's the behavior we see, yeah. But the thing is, the trolls were known to us, and they weren't only operating from server farms in Russia. There was one who was named National Security Advisor. Just the retweets from the Russian-controlled GOP Tennessee account. And by the way, that name was full of underscores. You gotta watch out for underscores in a Twitter account. The official names hardly ever go with underscores. But anyway... General Flynn's retweeting from that one account alone were enough to infect the central nervous system of the body politics. The Daily Beast reported that just three days before the 2016 election, Flynn posted that a 10 GOP, that's the Tennessee GOP, fake account that the Russians controlled, he reposted that 10 GOP tweet and he said it needed to be retweeted frequently. And a day before the election, still Daily Beast reporting, Flynn cited 10 GOP again saying, real Donald Trump and Mike Pence will be our next POTUS and VP Otis, Vapotis. Flynn quoted Pamela Moore 13, another fake account controlled by the Russians, whose content, the content of that account, if, the, if he bothered to look, claimed to be a Texan who was pro-God, but had a lot of xenophobic rants. Eric Trump, retweeted 10 GOP. Roger Stone retweeted plenty of fake Russian accounts. Eric Trump's brother, Don Jr., frequently disseminated the fake Pamela Moore account via his Twitter account, and he frequently retweeted the fake Tennessee GOP account. Here was one retweet at Tennessee GOP breaking. Thousands of names changed on voter rolls in Indiana. Police investigating. Hashtag voter fraud. Hashtag drain the swamp. All nonsense. All propaganda. Without the Trump acolytes, employees, and family members, the Russian social media efforts would have been stripped of a lot of their potency. Of course, that they weren't only served the interests of those spreading the lies. Yesterday, during the hearing, Facebook's lawyer talked about some safeguards his company put in place. We've tried to provide notification broadly about the issue through our public blogs, and we have a hard questions blog on our website that addresses a lot of this, and we're committed to working with the committee to publicize all of the content we've seen. Now, the problem with that is it assumes the social media user wants to know that he or she is being lied to, and that if they did know, they changed their behavior. But in the case of just a couple of notable customers out of the billions of customers these companies have, the customers named Flynn, Stone, Conway, and Trump, the last thing they wanted was to be informed of the truth, or for the rest of us to be either. And that's it for today's show that just was produced by Dan Schrader, who's part of the totally non-Russian Facebook group, Shit Borscht Eaters Say. Just producer Mary Wilson knew that one Twitter account she follows was a mix of scurrilous allegations of Hillary Clinton interposed with dash cam vids of comets and small bears drowning vodka. Very curious. Steve Lichtai, executive producer of Slate Podcast, calls foul on that one Russian Twitter account when he discovered that its blue check mark was actually a series of smaller blue check marks, each contained in the last one. The gist, and all users who are wondering 
If the gist ever disseminates information from a foreign government, they could just consult our FAQ. It's under, is Mike being controlled by a foreign power? Just click the link, enter your social, and we'll be glad to respond. Oomperu depru dupru, and thanks for listening. And can I just say, in reference to you selling me, my tax accountant, the very wonderful Maria Ivanis, every time she sees me published or on TV as a financial expert, she says she just laughs. laughs. They actually knew how crappy he was in his personal finances. The guy once tried to deduct a cockroach as livestock.